Christmas is. We did a social media push this week asking people to post their answer. Christmas is. It's what? It's tradition. It's family. It's uh, eggnog. It's presents. It's a big meal. Uh, The Woodruffs have a few odd traditions. We decorate the Christmas tree to the soundtrack of Elvis Presley's uh, Christmas album, which is as unthinkably cheesy uh, as you might imagine. Uh, We also have flank steak for no known reason uh, every Christmas Eve. And on Christmas morning, breakfast includes bacon. It's like the only time all year we have bacon, we have bacon on Christmas morning. And, uh, and the boys um, are, are only able to come down for that bacon and to look at their stockings after we allow it. So um, I went looking for a picture of them. They, they got to stay at the top of the stairs until we release them. I went looking for a picture of them when they were just, um, you know, four and five years old. This is from a couple years ago. The addition of Hannah, our daughter-in-law, means there's a lot less wrestling at the top of the steps as they're waiting uh, for things to happen. But um, we have some traditions, and, and the fact of the matter is we didn't set out to have any of those traditions, but we adopted them, and then over time they began to shape our experiences, and those experiences began to shape us. So here's the question. What is shaping you? What is shaping me? What is forming us? What is molding us into its image? Not just at Christmas, but all year round. How are we being shaped? Uh, I want you to hold on to that thought while we uh, jump to this passage. Mark, it's the very first verse, uh, one through three, of the Gospel of Mark. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So the beginning of the good news, the Gospel, uh, evangelion is the Greek word from which we get our word evangelism. This is the, this is the, the, the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The gospels are good news because they talk about the gospel, which is about Jesus the Messiah, the Christ, the promised one, the one that we have been waiting for. Christianity is not this I do, it's this he did, this Jesus did. The good news is that God So love the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is the good news. We're not on a, it's not a meritocracy, right? The good news recognizes that we're broken and God has done everything in sending his son who dies in our place. Uh, God does everything that needs to be done for us to be restored. So the beginning of the story of the good news about Jesus, the the promised one, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah. Okay, so it's written throughout the Old Testament. starts in Genesis 3. Isaiah is one of the prophets. And in Isaiah, the 40th chapter, Isaiah says, um, looking ahead, right, hundreds of years prophesying about what's going to come, I will send my messenger ahead of you, Who will prepare your way? Uh, A voice one calling in the wilderness. So 
Uh, the messenger that was sent, we know from uh, the book of Malachi, which is the last of the minor prophets, so the last book, as a matter of fact, the last chapter of the last book of the Old Testament uh, is where the, the statement is made that the next thing to happen before there will be, before, before the good news happens, before Christ shows up, the next thing to happen will be the arrival of Elijah saying, prepare the way, get ready. And we know that Elijah's return comes through John the Baptist, who is not the reincarnation of Elijah. He makes that clear. But in Matthew 17, Jesus says that, that John the Baptist is Elijah for the fulfillment of the prophecy made by Malachi. So John the Baptist is the one that comes to prepare the way. Uh, a voice, one calling in the wilderness. So John was out in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. So, so this sort of looks back at this whole idea uh, that um, when a king was coming into town, the king is, you know, perhaps being carried on a caravan or he's riding a, you know, a donkey or a, a camel or whatever he's riding in on, there would be runners going ahead of the king who would prepare the path, clean up the road, fill in any potholes, Maybe if there's some hairpin turns, you know, uh, reroute the road. So there were people running ahead of the king. And then the, the, the village to which the king was headed also has people that are going out from their end. They're cleaning up the road. So that it's taking out all the problems. It's, it's getting everything ready for the arrival of the king. And so um, it is suggesting that we are prepared. It's suggesting that we are uh, formed. So it goes on. I go back to the question then that I'm asking, and that is, um, are you prepared? Have you been properly shaped? How have you been formed? What is forming you right now? Is it Friends, is it uh, traditions, the news, politics, advertising, Google's algorithm, your boss, your fears, you being shaped by addictions, our celebrity culture, COVID, next month's earnings call. Well, I mean, what is it that what is it that is? shaping you? What is it that is forming you? There are a few different theories in play here about how this works. Um, Augustine, the great 5th century church uh, leader, the one who wrote uh, Confessions and also City of God, uh, among other things. Augustine is one of the, the earliest and most eloquent to argue that we are shaped most profoundly by the things we love. So we need to pay attention to what we love. Now, hopefully we're not in love with, um, you know, whatever Google's algorithm is uh, putting in front of us. Uh, hopefully we're not in love with politics. Um, but there's that theory. We are, we are being formed, you're being formed by what you love. Not by what you say you love, but by what actually captures your heart. A second theory says we are shaped most, we're formed most by... Uh, how we spend our time. So think 
work, um, hobbies, habits were formed most by uh, habits, including spiritual habits, so perhaps Bible study, uh, prayer, reflection, Sabbath rest, or perhaps we're being pretty profoundly formed by a lack of any of those kinds of spiritual habits or disciplines. I'd like to think that when it comes to time, um, uh, we are not being shaped by politics and Google's algorithm because we're not spending all our time listening to talk radio and surfing the web, but it, this is sort of how that would play out. A third theory uh, says uh, what we're really shaped by is what we think about, by the books we read, by the radio programs we listen to, by the TV programs that we watch. Uh, we're shaped by the ideas that we entertain. So probably it's some combination of all of those. Um, but in light of all that, about a thousand years ago, uh, so during the the middle of the Middle Ages, uh, which I keep saying is probably better than you think. If all you know about the Middle Ages has been shaped by Monty Python and uh, Don Quixote, if, if all you can really talk about when you think about the Middle Ages would be uh, the plague, uh, the Inquisition, the Crusades, uh, like if that's sort of all you know about that thousand-year period, then you're missing out. There were some good things that happened. There were some bad things that happened in the Middle Ages. But during the, the high Middle Ages, the middle of the Middle Ages, there was, there was also some really good things that were happening. And one of the things that was happening, one of the good things that was happening, is that um, the, there was sort of a, a little bit more thoughtful deliberation and intentionality to the shaping of a calendar, a church calendar, that was designed to create a year that was going to positively shape and form us. Now, some of you are aware of the church calendar, some of you perhaps not at all, but um, since the 17th century, we, the world, follows basically the Gregorian calendar, which was a modification of the Julian calendar, uh, trying to get it to line up more specifically to the exact you know, rotation of the earth around the sun. Uh, the church calendar is different than that, and the church calendar started, in a sense, uh, the idea of a year and celebrating things and going back to things. It started right away. I mean, uh, the, the, the early church is going to embrace the, the, the Jewish calendar with its festivals and feasts and those kinds of things, and it's going to add in uh, not just Christian worship, but it's going to celebrate in particular, you know, Resurrection Sunday or Easter. And then, uh, and then it, that's going to evolve. And then in the fourth century, it's going to take some uh, steps forward at the Council of Nicaea. They're going to formalize some dates and some other things. But uh, generally, the idea was that uh, the year was going to begin on the Sunday closest to November 30th. Don't ask me why. Uh, but the Sunday closest to November 30th, which means Happy New Year, uh, just a little bit late, but that was designed to be around the time of the uh, announcement of the angel Gabriel to Mary that she was pregnant. Because the year is, is what it's going to do is it's going to condense 
the church calendar is going to condense the life of Christ into a year, so that every year we would be rehearsing the life of Christ. And so everything gets condensed, and you're going to condense down um, the, the, the Mary's pregnancy. You're going to condense down uh, Christ's childhood. You're going to condense down all the things, the, you know, the announcement. Uh, you're going to condense down uh, his teachings. You're going to condense down uh, his crucifixion, his resurrection. You've got to put all those things in then Pentecost, and, and there's going to be dates that are going to coincide to all the big ticket items that happened in Christ's life. And some churches, we're not one of them, but some churches follow a liturgical calendar that gets dropped on top of the church calendar, and in the liturgical calendar every week in worship, there's a reading out of the Old Testament, there's a reading out of the book of Psalms, there's a reading out of one of the New Testament letters, and there's a reading out of the Gospels, one of the Gospels. And so it's it's a four-year cycle, you go through the Gospels. And and this, the, the reading of the Gospels is to coincide with the life of Christ. And so all of this um, starts uh, uh, right around now with the life of Christ. It starts with the Annunciation that, the, that Mary is pregnant. Um, so given that, by the way, you've got you to condense down the pregnancy. So it's not nine months, it's four weeks. By the way, I should take a quick pause and say that uh, uh, Jonathan and Hannah Neef, so Jonathan is the campus pastor at uh, Christ Church Vernon Hills. Hannah, they had their third baby. Uh, they had their third baby this week. Uh, a daughter, eight pounds, six ounces. Everybody's doing well. I do not yet have a name. But uh, <laughs> uh, if you asked Hannah, probably she would have been among like all the other women saying, yeah, I'd like to take that nine-month pregnancy and condense it down to four weeks. So everything has to be condensed. Um, So the calendar has got everything condensed. It begins with Advent, which is the period basically that coincides with Mary's pregnancy. It's the four weeks set aside to, to coincide with Mary's pregnancy, which is a time of preparation, a time of looking forward to uh, the arrival of Christ. And those that follow the church calendar, uh, again, we, we, we don't necessarily, some things we pick up on, but those that follow the church calendar uh, celebrate a lot of things. They say, you know, following this calendar helps remind us that we're different. Um, we're, not, we're not engaged in the debates over whether it's happy holidays or Merry Christmas because because it's not really Christmas, it's Advent, which is a different thing. I'll mention this in a minute. Uh, those that um, follow the church calendar celebrate the, the different moods and colors that, that are used in a church building during different stages, different seasons of the year, usually in these churches. Uh, the pastor or priest wears a robe and the vestments on the robe are going to change as are other colors on the, the platform are going to change. Um, those that follow the church calendar talk about the fact that the, 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 the reading of the year, the readings throughout the year force you to look at issues that you might otherwise overlap. All that is, is good. Uh, it also, there's a sense in which following this church calendar more um, 
more intentionally roots us back to history in the past. Um, I was on a Zoom call yesterday with um, Alan Jacobs, who used to be a professor at Wheaton. He's now a professor at, um, in Baylor. And just there's a new book out called uh, Breaking Bread with the Dead. And, and in it, he, uh, he talks about the fact that um, uh, uses this, uh, this phrase out of a, out of a novel in which uh, the, one of the characters in the novel says that uh, people today are too temporally, they don't, have a, they don't have enough temporal bandwidth. And consequently, they're, they're, just, they're absolutely consumed by presentism, by this moment. And when that's the case, he says, you lack personal density. Uh, so this is, would be a time when you actually want to be called dense. You want to have uh, a, a connection to the past that helps you balance things, that helps you say, for instance, yes, COVID is a global pandemic and, and it's a huge concern, but let's just equate it back to the plague. So I, I haven't seen in recent uh, weeks what, the, what the, the fatality rate is. I know it was, it was, you know, it was l- way less than 1%. Uh, during, the, during the Black Plague, the bubonic plague, it was, you know, 40% of people were dying. Uh, it, it helps us, you know, that, that personal density and that historical bandwidth helps us go, yes, there's some, there are some challenges that are going on right now in the politics in our country. But it's nothing like under Nero. It's not, nothing like under uh, the, the Decian persecution when Christians are being fed to the lions and used for torches, right? It gives us a, pers- a sense of perspective on things. And so there's a, there's, Jacobs is arguing in this book uh, that, that we need that kind of personal density. We need that, that understanding of history. We need to see ourselves tied more into history. So th- there's a lot that could be said about the calendar I appreciate uh, the call at various times in the year to go back and to look at things. And I appreciate the effort that was, uh, that was behind creating a calendar that is trying to get us shaped by the life of Christ and to very intentionally almost rub our noses in it, like what was happening, and, and, and to rehearse these events and to be formed by them. So, that's what's supposed to happen in Advent. Advent is, uh, the, is a Latin, it's from the Latin word Adventus, which means, um, which means waiting. And it's, it's the time that we're supposed to uh, be reflecting on the waiting that went on before Christ's first coming. And it's a time in which we are supposed to be uh, reminded that we are waiting for his promised return. The first time he came as a baby in humility. Uh, the second time he comes uh, as a man in power, as a king. So all of this uh, frames Christmas very differently than it tends to be framed today. For most people, Christmas is about uh, friends and it's about food and it's about family and presents. And I get it. it this is a, a year in which uh, Christmas, like Advent, is different and it's a little darker. I, 
uh, I was visiting my mom last week, uh, discovered that um, <laughs> Christmas, the, the Woodruff Christmas, so obviously sharing the boys, uh, Hannah and, and I will spend some time together. We'll have our Christmas. But for the last 20-some years, uh, the day after Christmas on the 26th, I obviously, uh, we're always here on the, the, the 24th for the Christmas Eve services, and then we have Christmas Day together as a family, and then on the 26th, we would drive over to my sister's. Uh, one of my sisters in the Quad Cities, so it's about four hours away, and uh, my dad has passed away, but he used, used to be my parents, and um, other sister, and at least one of my brothers, maybe both my brothers, and then everybody's married, and there's kids, and now there's additionally, there's not just nieces and nephews, but some of them are having kids, and so everybody gets together, and we'd have this big uh, Christmas on the 26th. Um, but I, I got left off the family memo that that had been canceled. And uh, so, so it's different this year. And I know for some of you, this is a really difficult Christmas because for all kinds of reasons, things are going to be different and they're hard. So Christmas is not always fun, but it's at least supposed to be fun. Uh, that's how Christmas is, is been developed in recent years. Advent is more complicated than that. Advent is the time set aside to prepare our hearts for the coming of Christ. It's a time that's set aside for us to look back and to remember how he uh, initially broke through, and it's a time for us to prepare for his return. It really isn't about gifts, although there's nothing wrong with gifts. And the, and the wise men brought gifts to Jesus, and it's not really uh, about reconnecting with family and friends, although that's certainly a good thing and should be done. It's not really about food. As a matter of fact, for the longest time, uh, those celebrating Advent, uh, to the extent that they celebrated or that they focused on food, it was that uh, they fasted. So they, they were not eating. Um, so Advent is a time that is different than Christmas. And um, my take is that to the extent that, um, that we do Advent well, it is the focus during Christmas, at least in part, on the Incarnation, which is something we ought to focus on, right? It's, it's one, of the, one of the great miracles of all time, the fact that that Jesus would set aside the glory and privilege and honor and, and perks of being God in heaven, and he would humble himself by becoming one of us, uh, and, and then he would die in our place, he, that, that the creator would become part of the creation. Uh, the incarnation is a huge miracle. It's a mystery. We cannot comprehend how, uh, how God could do that. The incarnation is certainly worth concentrated, focused uh, attention and reflection and to marvel at what God has done for us. But my take is that is only half of the assignment during Advent and the other half we tend not to do so well. And the other half is to think about his promised return. The fact that the one who came as an infant in humility has told us that he will return again in power. 
Um, as I was reading about, reflecting on Advent this week, going back and looking at some of the Advent texts, uh, reading some old sermons from uh, other people preaching on Advent, uh, just reminded of um, what a, it, it all sort of takes place, including the music, in a minor key. It's a dark time. It was a dark time initially. We, we have to go back and remember. Jews are frustrated, angry, confused. I mean, they've been waiting for a Messiah forever. And they had some, it sort of looked like God was working with them and they grow from Abraham to be this, you know, under David and Solomon, the, the superpower of the world. And they've got all sorts of things going for them. But now it's collapsed and they, they go through, they go into exile. And, and then uh, now they've been, uh, at the end of the Old Testament, again, this last uh, prophecy by Malachi, then, then it's radio silence for 400 years. For 400 years, there's not been a prophet uh, of God that has been speaking to them. And then um, uh, the, the Romans have now are grinding them under their heel. And, and they're, they're frustrated and they're longing. And, and Advent is this time uh, that, is, that is dark and they're fighting amongst themselves and they're wondering, God, are you ever, ever, ever going to show up? So Advent is hard. There's a there's a uh, relatively famous Episcopal priest uh, out of New York City, uh, Fleming Rutledge, who has written some wonderful uh, books. Uh, she has one called Advent that is a collection of uh, sermons oh, that she's given over 40 years. Um, and <laughs> she's famous in that, uh, you know, all the Advent sermons that she's given over 40 years always begin the same way, and that is the line, Advent begins in the dark. Um, and so there's, there's this sense that Advent is a time that is difficult, and Advent is in a minor key. When we do lessons and carols, which we're not able to do this year, first time uh, in our history as a church that that hasn't happened, but obviously that's, yeah, it's one of the COVID casualties. But when we would uh, do lessons and carols, I always felt um, people would show up for this, you know, it's, it's nine lessons, it's nine Bible readings, and then nine songs. And I, I always knew that people were showing up expecting Christmas carols, happy uh, you know, joy to the world, and uh, if not, uh, not even, you know, deck the halls and, and Christmas songs, and people think Christmas songs, and they think Frosty and Rudolph and all these supposedly upbeat contemporary songs. But the carols actually were designed to coincide with the readings. And so the readings, you start well in Genesis 1. You've got, uh, you know, everything's good. But then you go into this long period of, waiting. And, and it's hard, and it gets harder the longer it goes on. And so the music is not, is not cheery music. It's, it tends to be more melancholy. And it's, again, uh, Advent, uh, Advent carols are often slow and in a minor key because Advent is hard. And again, this year you can maybe relate more to that. But I want us to think about the fact that, that it, there is this crescendo, and we see that in our passage. The beginning of the good news. So this is, this is when 
the Gospels are going to break in after 400 years of silence. The angel Gabriel is first going to appear to Zechariah, who is the, the priest who's in the Holy of Holies, right? He's married to Elizabeth. He's, he's sort of fulfilling his, his uh, duty. The, that priesthood, that responsibility to praying uh, in the temple would sort of rotate through all the priests. He doesn't have a child. Um, he, and, he and Elizabeth are old. And the angel breaks in and says, Zechariah, God has heard your prayers. Your wife is going to give birth to a son, and he will be. He is going to be the voice of, of the one calling in the wilderness. So it's game time. You've been waiting forever, and, and you've, you've almost given up. But I'm here to tell you, the first miracle is going to be that your wife, Elizabeth, who is past having children, she is going to give birth to the one who is going to be the Elijah who is going to break the news. And then that same angel will, of course, go to, uh, to Mary and say, you know, hail favored one, you have found favor with God. And, uh, and you are going to give birth <laughs> to the Son of God, right? And that's what, I, it, it's all starting. The good news is here. So Advent is, is dark and it's reflective and there's a sense that we've got to lean into that pain and, and, and put ourselves back in to realize what the world was like without the hope of Christ. And then it's all going to take off. And the Christmas music... So technically, if you're in a high church, a liturgical church, um, you have Advent music up until Christmas Eve, and then you sing Joy to the World, right? Then you sing, yes, it's here, and you, you lean into this. So what I want to do to wrap up is I just want to give you three things to hold on to um, as you are moving through Advent. This is the second week of Advent. There's obviously, four weeks in Advent uh, lead up to that. I want to say, first of all, you need to understand that Advent is the time to get ready. And so, um, so you, you want to take this advice to your, to, unto yourself. Prepare the way for the Lord. Straighten out the, the hairpin turns. Fill in the ditches, right? To the extent that to the extent that you are going to be even more mindful of the arrival of the king, uh, what would that look like? How would you, what would you take on? Now, again, I want to be so careful because I want, to, I want to emphasize that Christianity is not this I do. It's not this, it's not us being better. It's not that at all. It is about the grace of God. It's about the finished work of Jesus Christ. But, but, but there is, was a call. Prepare the way for the Lord. Repent. Get right. Uh, and so I want to ask you, what is forming you? What is shaping you? What is, what is directing your thoughts? Um, what is shaping you right now? Prepare the way. Second thing I want you to understand about Advent is um, the arrival of God is good, but it's not necessarily easy. That the arrival of the king is a time of rejoicing. It's great news, but it's not necessarily easy news. It, it, not only was it not easy news or necessarily fun news for the Jews, the Jewish religious leaders who completely missed uh, the Messiah, most of them. Uh, not only was it not fun for somebody like Herod, who now had the, the real king of the Jews has been born, it wasn't good news or fun, excuse me, it wasn't fun news for Mary. 
Mary, who, who has found favor with God and is going to give birth to the, to, the, to the Son of God, and who has this wonderful song that she sings uh, in the early chapters of Luke, the Magnificat. And, and there's so much about this that is great. Mary is being asked to become a scandal. Mary is being asked to, to have a lot of very difficult challenges because God is now more immediately in her life. It's not, it's not easy news for Joseph when he finds out that the woman to whom he is engaged, with whom he has not slept, uh, is now pregnant. Right? That's not easy. The arrival of God is good news, but it's disruptive, <laughs> which is why uh, I, I labeled this, this uh, I filled in, uh, Christmas is disruptive. Advent is disruptive if we're doing it right. So the second thing I want to mention is that Christmas is disruptive. And then the third and final thing I want to remind you of is that if we're doing this right, right, Advent, Christmas, if we use them interchangeably, is not just the time set up for us to remember his first coming and the incarnation. We should do that. But it's also a time for us to look ahead to his promised return. Advent, we are living between advents. <laughs> we are living between arrivals. He came as a child. He lived, he died, he rose again, and he said he's coming back. He will come back. And so we want to be shaped during Advent by, by those bookends. We are living in the middle. The one who came as a child in humility is coming back as a king. Let me pray for us. Father, I want to pray that uh, this Advent, this second week of Advent, would be a time in which we are more intentionally, deliberately shaped and formed by you. May our love for you, may our time with you, may, may, our, may our focused attention be about you in ways that allow us to be shaped and formed more in the image of Christ and to live more uh, completely uh, sold out to the promise of, uh, of his return and the work, Lord Jesus, that you did uh, the first time you were here. So we pray to that end. God and bless us, direct us in Christ's name. Amen.